are listening to Justice for All, a podcast brought to you by the law offices of Scarpello and Latour. Each week, our experts provide insight on topics involving the law, entertainment, and sports. And now, without further ado, put your hands together for the host of Justice for All, Josh Scarpello and Pierre Latour. Hello and welcome again to Justice for All. I'm Josh Scarpello alongside my law partner, Pierre Latour. Say hello, Pierre. Hello, everybody. Uh, We are talking today about lawsuits against police officers. Um, We've talked a lot about interactions between private citizens and police um, in the context of automobile stops, DUI stops. What we're talking about here are lawsuits against the police Uh, that come about through interactions between citizens and police and happen while the police officers are on duty. They're carrying out their their job. Um, Many of these claims uh, are are born out of either excessive force, uh, police using too much force in the um, arrest or the the, the detention of a a suspect. Um, There's also malicious prosecution. Today we're going to talk about uh, the types of claims that come out of um, many scenarios that uh, happen between civilians and the police, the possible defenses to some of those claims, the types of damages that are available to people that have been the victim of mistreatment at the hands of the police, and what you need to do if you are the victim of either a wrongful arrest or perhaps you were injured by the police in any way, shape, or form. We may not cover every scenario out there, but we're going to try to give you an overview so you understand your rights. As with all of our discussions, each case is fact-specific, and you should reach out to us at Scarpello and Latour for a free consultation to see and discuss your rights. Now, I'm going to bring in Pierre right now to talk about um, lawsuits against police. We uh, here at Scarpello and Latour defend people that are charged with crimes. We've done that for years. Uh, Pierre and I started our um, careers back in the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office as young prosecutors. And for really over the better part of two decades since then, we have uh, fought inside Philadelphia courtrooms both for the prosecution and also defending people uh, against criminal charges. And in the course of defending people in criminal charges, Pierre, we have encountered a number of people who have been the victim of police brutality, wrongful arrest. What are the types of claims that that you've typically seen in your practice uh, when it comes to lawsuits against the police? Well, when you're suing the Philadelphia Police Department, um, which means you're suing the individual Philadelphia police officer and the city of Philadelphia, uh, there are two broad categories. There, there is a, um, there's police brutality, which is usually, uh, excessive force, which is where the police beat you, tase you, shoot you, or God forbid, murder you. Um, and there's uh, false arrest. Uh, and these are two very different categories with different types of fact patterns. And uh, I'll, I'll explain them briefly. I mean, police brutality is exactly what it says. Police brutality, a, a police brutality case uh, is a case in which the police 
literally beat you up, use excessive force. And this can occur during either a lawful or unlawful arrest. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that can be the confusing part. So even if the police are arresting you lawfully, which means they actually see you commit a crime or they have probable cause to arrest you or there's an arrest warrant out for you, but in doing so, there are limitations on what they can do, right? If you are handcuffed, uh, and in the back of a police car, they can't punch you in the face. They can't hit you with their gun. Um, if you are unarmed and backing away and pose no threat to the police, they can't taser you and they can't shoot you. Um, but unfortunately, that that is something that we see not only a lot, but actually increasing. I have some numbers here uh, which are kind of staggering. And now these are national numbers and not specific to Pennsylvania or, or Philadelphia or New Jersey. But in, in the most recent statistics, in 2017, police officers shot and killed 987 people nationwide. And in 2018, which is the most recent year, that figure actually went up to 996. So so think about that. I mean, that's over 1,000 people a year that are being killed by the police. Um, and I think you see more and more now, especially with social media, uh, with Twitter and Snapchat and Facebook, you've seen a number of these instances recently in which clearly uh, the police have committed, you know, uh, all types of offenses against these people because uh, what they're doing is they're using excessive force. All across the country, whatever police department you're dealing with, there's something called a, a continuum of force, right, or use of force uh, procedure, which basically dictates to the police, you know, what type of force they can use. And that can go from uh, using a uh, particular hold on you to using a billy club to escalating to a taser to actually using deadly force. Um, but those guidelines are supposed to be strictly followed. And unfortunately, we see a lot, especially in Philadelphia, uh, these things can get out of hand where the police can do any number of things. And we've represented uh, clients of ours who have been tasered by the police when there was no reason to taser the person. We've dealt with uh, cases in where the police have beaten our clients because they were unarmed. Uh, I've even represented uh, a client recently in which the police ran them over with their police car. Uh, and again, the, the, the police claimed that uh, you know my client was fleeing from them and they were trying to effectuate the arrest. Well, you don't have to be a genius to figure out that the police aren't allowed to arrest you by running you over with a vehicle. Um, that being said, um, you know, what are the important things to know? Number one, you know, we've talked about this before in other podcasts, the statute of limitations. What's the statute of limitations on these types of cases, Josh? Two years from the, you know, from the date of the incident most in most police cases, unless you're suing under a specific statute. But if you're talking about wrongful arrest, or an assault and battery, you know, the police used excessive force, or an invasion of privacy claim, all state law claims in Pennsylvania. Those claims, as well as Section 1983 of the Civil Rights Act of, that's not 1964, but it's before that. It's Title 42, Section 1983, or what a lot of lawyers call uh, 1983 claims. That's a federal statute that per, that permits um, people to sue in federal court for violations of their civil rights uh, by any uh, government agent, uh, such as a police officer, those actions must be brought within two years from the date that they happen, unless that you can prove uh, some sort of tolling. Tolling is a legal term that means that you, um, the statute of limitations does not run for a certain period of time. 
in most cases because you didn't, you know, you weren't aware that you had a claim or it took you a while to discover who the claim was against. But assuming all other things being equal, two years from the date of your interaction with a police officer, you have that time to file either in state court or in federal court. Pierre's talked about, you know, the worst thing that can happen to you, which is, um, you know, a death at the hands of the police officer. And that does happen far too often in this country. But excessive force can be putting the handcuffs on too, you know, too, too tight, which happens in quite a few cases and causes damages to people's arms and wrists, to tasering. We had a case in the office a few years back with a young lady who was intoxicated. Uh, she was taken in for a suspected DUI. Police officers didn't like her attitude. And while she was in a holding cell, cell because she would not quiet down and, and refuse commands to quiet down, they, they went out to the police car, got their taser, and tasered this poor woman. Right. Uh, you know, and that could be a simple, uh, you know, that could be an interaction between you and a police officer that happens in the darkest corners of the police station or even out on the street. Um, but those are the types of things that we're talking about. And P- Pierre and I have handled those scenarios both as prosecutors as well as defense attorneys and, and now on the civil side helping people recover for really what is a misuse of, of government power. Right. And that's what this, the Civil Rights Act, the 1983 claims is, are for, are really misuse by people um, under color of law, which is another legal term, which means it, it protects you from people that work for the government that are that in the course of exercising their job, like police officers, cross the line in some way. This gives you a recourse in case you are wrongfully accused or, God forbid, beaten or assaulted. Now, if you are wrongfully accused, um, those cases, you know, you're going to end up in court first many times, um, and you'll have to defend yourself in court, which is one of the hurdles here to bringing successful cases against police officers. Oftentimes, if you have a negative interaction with a police officer, the police officer will turn around and accuse you, right, Pierre, and say that you did something to them, and all of a sudden you're facing an assault charge. Well, and that's criminal court, and that's that's important because um, two points here. Number one. If you're if during the course of, you know, while you, if you get arrested and the police, let's use tasering as the most obvious example. So let's let's say police show up and there's some type of argument going on in the street and you have words back and forth with the police officers, which is fine. I mean, you can tell a police officer to go to hell. You can use foul language. Um, those aren't crimes. Not that we, we recommend not, that. Right. I'm just <laughs> pointing out that it's not a crime to do that. And let's say in response, the officer takes out a taser and tasers you. Right. He then arrests you and charges you with, let's say, disorderly conduct, simple assault, recklessly endangering, maybe even aggravated assault against a police officer. He claims you took a swing at him. Um, you now have a problem if you want to pursue a civil lawsuit because if you go to criminal court and you are found guilty or plead guilty or even enter into a diversion program like ARD, uh, the city which is the one that's going to defend uh, the police officers against your lawsuit, will use that as proof to say that the officers didn't do anything wrong, right? So if, if, if you come later on and sue the city and the police and say, wait a minute, you know, Officer Smith had no basis whatsoever to taser me during this incident, and that they look at your, your, your sheet and they say, well, wait a minute, you pled guilty to simple assault and disorderly conduct, you're going to lose your lawsuit. So it's extremely important. Um, that you have a very good criminal attorney, whether that's us or anybody else. And, and, and listen, uh, just, to, just to pat ourselves in the back here, we handle a lot of these cases because we end up 
we end up getting a lot of these cases because the people come to us because they've been charged. We beat the case. We right. get the, we, we have the client gets found not guilty or the case gets dismissed. And then the client says, well, what can we do now? I really want that. That officer should pay for what he did. I mean, I'm in, I'm in pain. I, you know, I can't walk the right way anymore. I have nightmares, you know, all this stuff. Well, then we can sue because the case has been thrown out. But it's important to understand that, you know, don't take a if, – if you intend to sue, if you really want to sue the police and the city over injuries they may have caused – you can't go to court and admit that you did something wrong and take a plea, or you can't go to trial and be found guilty of something. Now, we talked about the, some of the types of claims, um, excessive force, wrongful arrest. There's also uh, another type of claim uh, called invasion of privacy, which we will often uh, allege along with a wrongful arrest or a malicious prosecution or excessive force claim um, because it, it, it reflects and recovers for the damage on that person's character and reputation within the community. Imagine being arrested. Imagine being locked up, charged with assault by police officers wrongfully for something that you didn't really do, and then having to defend yourself, go to courts half a dozen to a dozen times over the next course of the year, uh, having to pay for a lawyer, having to explain to your job, to your employer, uh, to family, the loved ones. Perhaps you own your own business. And, you know, your, your customers hear that you've been arrested and charged with a felony crime at the hands of a police. You know, th- these are things that are uh, compensable. Um, these are things that, you know, when police, when people hear about a, a felony arrest for somebody, it has an effect, a negative effect. And that's one of the uh, claims that you can make uh, for damages uh, against a police officer who, who violates your rights by by filing a, you know, a malicious claim or by arresting you for no reason is to also consider the effect on the on your life, not outside the personal effect. Um, has, how has it affected your business or your character or your reputation? We've had clients, in fact, we have, we've had one within uh, a couple within the past 12 months here uh, that were arrested, charged um, wrongfully, um, incorrectly by police officers. And a couple of days later, lost their jobs because their their private em- employers require their uh, employees to report any kind of, of arrest to them, which is not uncommon. Um, the our clients in these cases did exactly that, and were summarily dismissed. So that's another uh, claim that you could have against um, police officers for the damages. And in terms of the types of damages, think about. Again, effect to the character, to your reputation within the community. Lost wages, you know that we can that that can be equal, easily calculated and spread out. If you lost your job as a direct result of being arrested um, falsely, uh, pain and suffering, either through um, emotional distress or just a physical pain, if you've been beaten or tasered or batoned by a police officer. Time spent in jail, Pierre. I mean, there's a oh, absolutely. You know, the, the day for day, there, there, those those things are something that will definitely. The, the more time you spend in jail, especially wrongfully accused, will definitely add value to your claim. Um, think about the money that you spend to hire a private lawyer to defend yourself. Um, we mentioned rep- reputation, invasion of privacy. Um, these are all claims and damages that you may suffer in a scenario that we're discussing, and it's important that you talk about these damages and you talk about the effect that um, these interactions that you've had with the police have had on your life because these can add value 
to a claim against the police officer. Now, we let, talk- let me let me add this one quick sure. thing too, just to make sure we're we're being clear here, because I think it does get confusing. Um, you know, uh, excessive force, uh, police brutality, pretty straightforward. Um, false arrest, not so straightforward. Um, and and many times you have a combination, right? Many times the police will falsely arrest you and beat you during that arrest, and you have a claim for both. Sometimes the police will simply beat you even though it's a lawful arrest and you still have a claim. I I think where people sometimes get confused is where police show up and they arrest you and you say, well, I didn't do anything wrong, right? And so you, you may, and you may even spend time in jail awaiting trial. And in the end result is your case is dismissed or you're found not guilty. And people will say, well, I have a claim for false arrest. Well, you may and you may not. Um, you know, to prove false arrest against the police, you have to believe that what the, the police didn't have it was unreasonable for them. They like they knowingly arrested you, knowing you didn't do anything wrong. Now, when you end up getting a third party or another person accusing you and telling the police that you did something, say your neighbor says, you know, you hit me or you stole my lawnmower or you know you did this or you did that. The police can rely on what that other person said, even if they lie, which does happen a lot. But we do have clients come to us and say, okay, well, you know, I was charged with theft and the case was not guilty because the guy who accused me was a liar and we went to court. I was found not guilty. Now I want to sue the police and I want to sue the city for false arrest. Right. And that happens a lot, you know, where where, where somebody, uh, that's a good example, neighbor dispute. Neighbor files a claim against another neighbor for harassment for or ex girlfriend uh, or, or ex boyfriend, right? In a the, domestic situation. The, what what Pierre is explaining is that the a police detective who would take that complaint from, say, the ex girlfriend, has a right, you know, uh, to rely on the words of those people and within reason. Uh, meaning that if if a private citizen comes and says, "Hey, that guy assaulted me. That guy raped me. That guy threw a rock through my window." The police officers are protected in, to a certain degree in that in that scenario because it's reasonable, the law says, for, for the police officers in the course of doing their job, they have to rely on people that come and, and tell them their stories. So it's not always a scenario, you, you may not be able to recover for the scenario where a third party, a civilian party, um, has made a false claim against you. We are talking about uh, what they call you know state action, color of law action, meaning a person that works for the government, in this case the police officer, that person is the one that has trumped up the false claim, that has filed charges against you when he he or she knew that they were not warranted. The the classic scenario is, you know, you either get pulled over by the police for a traffic stop or they stop you on the side of the street and they ask you a few questions. And normally it becomes combative because somebody says, you know, why are you stopping me? I didn't do anything wrong. And the police suddenly ante it up a bit and say, well, you know, why don't you shut up? You watch your mouth or I'll take you downtown. And I didn't do nothing back and forth. And then, you know, what happens all the time, clients get taken downtown. I've had numerous cases in which clients just had an argument with the police over any number of things. The police literally made up a charge. You know, you shut up, lock them up, take them downtown where I've had clients then spend the night in jail where literally they open the door the next day and tell the people to get lost. And they never get charged with a crime, right? right. You literally never are charged with a crime, but the police have basically threatened or scared you and locked you up. Um, and sometimes, in even worse scenarios where they do charge you with a crime and bail is set and sometimes you can't make bail and you sit in jail for 
days or weeks or even months, um, then you also have a, a serious claim against the police and the city because, again, the police have made up that charge against you. They clearly knew you didn't do anything wrong, but they locked you up anyways. That is the classic false arrest case. If you're in, this, in Philadelphia, Pierre, and you have a case like this, a police officer has, you know, in a car stop scenario, arrested you falsely, maybe roughed you up a little bit. You had to go to the hospital before they took you there. I mean, where we, we talked about choices of in terms of where to file the case, state court versus federal court. Where would you file normally, and, and what are the factors that you consider in terms of where you're going to file this claim? I mean, you know, the, the, I prefer state court. I mean, state court – here are the the pros and cons of this. In state court, I think the pros are is you have a a better jury pool. I think you have you're going to get a better jury that's going to be more sympathetic to uh, your claim. Um, I think it's it's easier to deal with in terms of dealing with negotiating a settlement in a case in state court. Uh, the downside is this: the downside is that you are capped. The city is capped in terms of the damages to recover. The city is capped at five hundred thousand dollars. That is the most you can recover, no matter what your injuries are or what the what you complain of. Um, you know, in federal court, you have the option to sue in federal court. In federal court, you have to allege uh, a violation of your civil rights, as you talked about a right. nineteen eighty three claim. Um, and to do that can sometimes be more difficult. Uh, against the city because you have to essentially sometimes either do either you have to allege a violation of civil rights where somebody violated your civil rights the police officers violated your civil rights uh, and sometimes to get the city on the hook you have to establish what's known as a Monell claim which basically you have to be able to show in court and in your pleadings too that there's a pattern of practice, right. which, which can be very difficult to show. A, a pattern of practice that the city is aware of. Exactly. So that, you know, they know that police officers just constantly pull over young black males and for no reason harass them and search their vehicles and sometimes detain them overnight. Well, even if that does happen as a regular practice in Philadelphia, finding proof of that, like emails or memos or stuff like that, can be very difficult. Uh, it's a good reason for the city to get your case dismissed out of federal court. Uh, in federal court, you're dealing with now. The, the, here's the quick advantage. Quick advantage is in federal court, not only are the, your damages not capped, um, but the attorneys can recover attorneys' fees. You have the potential for punitive damages as well. Right. Um, but again, it's easier for your case to get dismissed. Uh, for and the, more you have to prove. Bottom yeah, line, it's a higher yeah. burden yeah, of proof. Really, proof. it's easier for the city to get the case dismissed. I think the judges down there are far less sympathetic to your cases and they're looking to get the cases dismissed. And finally, the jury pool, again, we're here in the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. The Eastern District of Pennsylvania, you have to remember, is not Philadelphia. It's Philadelphia all the way out to about Harrisburg and all the way north up into the Lehigh County. So you're getting a great deal of people who are coming from outside of the city of Philadelphia, probably have... and. I'm going to use the term irrational, <laughs> an irrational respect for law enforcement. And probably, literally, I mean, we, I've seen this all the time. They're going to come into that courtroom and say, 
You know, I respect the police. The police would never do anything wrong. I've never had a problem with the police. And therefore, I simply can't believe that the police would do anything like this. Now, a Philadelphia jury comes from a completely different perspective. People who live in Philadelphia, I don't care where you are, are kind of a little bit more realistic about, you know, and I'm not trying to paint all police officers as bad apples. They're not. The police are no different than anybody else in the world. They're no different than doctors or lawyers or anybody else out there. There are... There's good police officers and there are bad police officers. In Philadelphia alone, there are 6,000 police officers that work this job, all right? It doesn't take – you only have to have a few, you know, to do a couple of bad things, and that's the stuff that's going to end up in the paper, right? But the fact of the matter is, you know – there are bad cops out there that do bad things all the time, right? And I've seen it. We've all we've I mean, we've been doing this for twenty years. I've seen it in criminal court, and I've certainly seen it on the civil side in these lawsuits. Um, and it is really to your advantage. And this is just my opinion, but I think it's really to your advantage. It gives you a lot more leverage, I think, with your case and the city solicitor, who again defends these cases on behalf of the police. Um, knows that going in that there's a risk for them going to trial even though their damages are capped they know that the 12 jurors from Philadelphia are far more likely to go and hear that evidence and and be convinced and and not be surprised about what they hear where i think down in federal court despite there's that that promise of of a bigger award in terms of damages i think it's much more difficult to get a federal jury to reach that same conclusion and think the police did something wrong so if you've been uh, involved in one of these scenarios that we're talking about, you think you've been wrongfully arrested, you have been wrongfully arrested, beaten the case, or the charges were never filed or dropped, if you were tasered or batoned or hurt by police in some scenario and you think they had no right to do that, if you lost your job following an arrest, if uh, you've had other consequences happen to you as the result of interaction with police officers in Philadelphia or outside of Philadelphia, these, these rules apply throughout the the state of Pennsylvania, please contact one of us here at at Scarpello and Latour and have a free consultation. Sit down with Pierre and I, tell us about the specific facts of your case, and we'll be able to guide you along the path to recovery. The telephone number, if you want to give us a call today for your free consultation, is 215-732-0460, or you can find us on the web at www.phillybestdefense.com. And and not only is the consultation free, but this is a civil case. All civil cases, you don't pay a thing, right? The only way the only way we make any money is if we get you money. Everything is on a contingent fee basis. So when you walk in, if we decide to take your case, you're not paying any money up front. You're not taking any risk. If we evaluate your case and decide to take it, we're the ones taking the risk. But we get paid only when you get paid. So again, you can pick up the phone, 215-732-0460, or again, on the web, www.phillybestdefense.com. That's P-H-I-L-L-Y, bestdefense.com. Contact myself, Pierre Latour, or Josh Garpello, uh, and we're more than happy uh, to either talk to you in person or over the phone about any potential case you think you might have against the police anywhere in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. This is Josh Scarpello of the podcast Justice for All. If you or a family member has been injured in an accident, if you've been wrongfully arrested or abused at the hands of the police, if someone you know has been catastrophically injured, 
you should pick up the phone right now and schedule an appointment with either myself or my partner, Pierre Latour. We have over 20 years experience fighting for the rights of people just like you. Call us today at 215-732-0460. The Justice for All podcast is sponsored by Jose Pistolas. Jose Pistolas is your neighborhood bar with a huge sports problem. If you want the best in modern Mexican cuisine and a side of crushing margaritas while being surrounded by the best draft list and craziest staff in town, head down to Jose Pistolas, located at 263 South 15th Street in the heart of the city of brotherly love. All right, we're back, and uh, we're recording this. It's still February, despite the fact that it hasn't snowed at all. Um, spring training has started, right? That's right. Uh, the Phils are down in Clearwater. The Red Sox are in Fort Myers. How uh, nice does it look when you see those guys? Yeah, the weekend, I know like it's annoying. There. It's just like, you were you, down in Vero Beach. Tell the tell I, the fans what, what you were doing. Both Beach. my kids were in Vero Beach. I drove down because I'm an idiot. You've got <laughs> <real> <laughs> I drove. I drove by myself. To Vero Beach, which for those of you who want to know, can be done in 14 hours. <laughs> Just telling you. 14-hour trip. I saw both my kids. Uh, I got a 14-year-old and an 11-year-old. They played in a tur- they played in tournaments down there. It's a great time. Fantastic. Uh, the weather was pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. But it was just nice to be in warm weather. Um, but anyways, I mean, uh, you know, the spring training games just started this past weekend. Mm-hmm. We're quietly only a month away from opening day. Opening day, I think, is March 26th this year. That's right. Um, so the big story, obviously, has been the um, the Astros cheating scandal. That's correct. Those goddamn Astros and their cheating. Um, and everybody seems to be really pissed off at the commissioner. You know, the Astros are pissed off at, but they're really pissed off at the commissioner. And they think the commissioner has screwed this up because, you know, even though the teams got punished, none of the players, not a single Astro. That seems hard to believe. Got suspended, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I throw it to you, Mr. Scarpello. If you were the commissioner of baseball, what, what would you have done? How would you have done it the same, different, you know, otherwise? What? You know, our legal background, I think, sometimes is, is very helpful. Um, I'm talking about a lot of topics, but, you know, when talking about the idea of judgment and punishment, I think we are, are you know, really specially, um, we have we, we have a background that is really specially suited for sort of, you know, judging people. And, oh, yeah. And uh, because we're lawyers, that's what mm. we do. And we've got lots of opinions. And we have lots of opinions, <laughs> and that's all you really need. Bob Manfred, I think, is a lawyer, too. So probably. He's it. probably a lawyer. I do not... Uh, see how you can uh, unearth a scandal as big as this. And I, maybe that's the first topic is how big of a scandal do you think this is? I think it's a huge scandal when you talk about any systematic um, scheme, if you will, to cheat. You know, and that's kind of what this is. I mean, not kind of what this That's exactly what this yeah. is. You know, the heart my, my son, little Josh, asked me when we were watching SportsCenter over the weekend, he said, what's really the big deal here, Dad? I said, well, I had, exp- I had to explain it to him. And he said, wow, that's pretty important. I said, yeah, you know, baseball, it's kind of important to be able to hit the baseball, right? right. And if you know which pitch is coming, these guys are professional hitters. I mean, it, it, it's not only is it not fair, but you think about the integrity of the game. I think about in today's day and age, like, 
you know, if they're doing this, who's to say they're doing this just to win games and they're not doing it because they, they one of the somebody on the Astros has a Pete Rose like gambling habit, you know? <laughs> And wants to say, hey, look, I think I'm going to hit a double tonight or a home run or, you know, we're going to, I mean, it, it messes with the integrity of the game. There's a lot of people that are yeah. watching these games, betting on these games. I, for that reason, I think you have to do everything you can to de- to deter players from thinking in this way in the future. Because, again, now you have, you know, you have the, the Boston Red Sox. Well, they're not complaining from last year, but... You know the the Red Sox and then the Yankees and the Dodgers, all their fans, all their fan bases have reason to be really upset with the integrity of baseball. After they had, you know, they ended, they you know they had great years those years too. Is yeah. what people have to remember. Yeah. It wasn't just the you know the Astros that had that miracle year. It's not that they just put you know cast a cloud over you know how legitimate that year was. But think of all those teams and the fans from those other teams. From those years, who you know, live and die with ba- with their baseball teams like everybody else, they got cheated. All right, those fans, anybody that's a fan of baseball, got cheated. And as a fan of baseball, I would have liked to have seen whoever was involved: Altuve, Bregman, all these people that, quite honestly, I thought were superstars in my mind. And I was personally very impressed with like the likes of an Altuve. And a Bregman, especially in the World Series, what Bregman did in the World Series. And to think that, like, they might have been cheating the whole time, you know. And and, and, and really the big question I have is, that were they wearing a buzzer underneath one of their well, jerseys? They may have been doing that as well. They claim they were. But I, I think what really kind of annoys people is that there was no punishment to the players, right? Huh? There was none. I mean, these guys, I mean, I think what really pisses people off is that Everybody saw the press conference they did about a week ago where they kind of sheepishly got in front of the, the microphone and were like, sorry, you know, like your kid. Like when you have, when you make one of your kids apologize to your other kid and they go, sorry, and you'd be like, do it sincere. And they didn't do it sincere. <laughs> and the uh, the owner, like the owner of the of the Astros uh, literally got up there and made the statement of like, well, I don't really thought we got an advantage from it. And you want to be like, what, what do you you, that, then you're not cheating right. Like, if you didn't get an advantage, of course you got an advantage. Of course they got, from, an, adva- right? course they got an advantage. Yeah, from. And, and I think where, where Manfred screwed up here, and I've heard the excuses. So man, the baseball has come out, or Manfred's come out and said, well, we didn't want to punish the players because the only way we could get information is by granting them immunity. Well, that's bullshit, right? Because in the first place, they found out about this because Mike Fires, who used to pitch for the Astros and went to the A's, told everybody they were cheating, and then multiple other people who used to play on the uh, Astros confirmed it. So you didn't need the Astros players to get the information to uncover the cheating. And, and the more realistic one, I think, is probably that the unsaid reason is that they didn't want the big, ugly spectacle of knowing that you can't really discipline the players for this because that involves the CBA. And once you involve the CBA, then an arbitrator is going to get involved and the union is going to file a grievance. And then my response, if I'm the commissioners, well, so what? So what? Right? Yeah. You know, take the high ground. Go out there, have the press conference and say, this is what we uncovered. This will not be tolerated. And the penalties are going to be severe. And the following players, whether it's Altuve and Bregman and Springer or whoever it is that we found, found, you know, substantial evidence to believe that they were cheating using the system they had in place, which was a sophisticated system. Right. This isn't this isn't, you know, like just trying to steal signs with a guy on second base. This is they they put a live video feed 
of the catcher directly into their dugout to decode the signs and then banged on trash cans so their batters would know in real time which, which pitch was coming. Um, Manfred could have just said, like, listen, all these guys, they all get 100 games or they all get 75 games or they all get whatever. And, you know, let the union file the grievance, right? Let, the, let it be challenged in arbitration. Let them win. Who cares? But then at least Manfred can stand up there and be like, listen, I put my foot down. I drew a line in the stand. I tried to discipline them, but they, I was overruled, right? Yeah, sometimes you just have to do what's right because it's right. And if, you know, and if it gets overturned, because the players' union uh, and their CBA, and it's determined by a judge that it was too harsh, so be it. But again, you're talking about the integrity of the game. You're talking about a lot of people that trying to promote this game and sell this game. It's tough to do that when there's, I think, you know, when, when fans may have a perception that their people, A, people are cheating, and B, people can get away with cheating. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, no, no time. Now, now, to be clear, I didn't, you know, the whole, some of these people, you know, some people on Twitter, which, you know, sometimes isn't the most, you know, is not a, you know, great wealth of rational thought, if you can believe that. But there was a lot of, there's a big drumbeat going around of like, oh, strip them of the title, which I think is just stupid. I mean, how do you strip them of the title? How do you prove conclusively that the Astros, but for the cheating, wouldn't have won the World Series. That's stupid. Then what do you do? Do you give it to the Dodgers? Do you call up the Dodgers three years later and say, congratulations, you're the 2017 world champions? Go have yeah, a parade? I mean, nobody wants, nobody wants. Well, no, a lot of people do. A lot of people got on yeah. their soapboxes yeah. and went out there and said, you need to strip them of the title. You need to take away this. You need to take away that. And I'm like, really? Like, what, what are you doing? Like, what do you, what? I mean, they did it. I guess they do it in basketball all the time, right? Do they, you know, didn't they take Rick Pitino's national championship away? Well, that's the NCAA, which is a whole is a topic for a whole other podcast. <laughs> By the way, I went to that championship game in in Atlanta where Louisville won, and I bet you Louisville fans still count that as a win, even oh, if you yeah. make them take the banner down, right? Yeah, I don't think any. I mean, again, I just if you're not going to punish these teams for kind of stepping over the competitive lines and just flat out cheating. Well, and let's be clear, they did punish them, right? They were fined, they're going to lose a bunch of draft picks, but I think the issue that sticks in people's craw is that the individual players are going to receive, you know, an opening day lineup for the for the Houston Astros is going to have Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman and anybody of these other guys. Who do they open with, by the way? I don't know. God, I mean, why? I, I, why couldn't it be the Yankees? Right? Why couldn't great. it be the Yankees in like great. Yankee Stadium? I mean, great. I mean, talk about. I mean, there might. It's going to be fun. It's going to be. It's it's going to be fun from a car wreck standing on the side of the road type of thing to see how this Astros. Season they open go. up with the Yankees, and Chapman comes out for the first inning. <laughs> That would be great. Your, your starting pitcher for the Yankees, Araldus Chapman. No, just sitting there smiling as as El Tuve barely digs into the box. Right. That's what I would pay to see that. I really would pay to see that. That no. Okay. In a perfect world, this is what I. You know, if I'm Rob Manfred, I would say, okay. You know, you you have to announce it ahead of time, but for every for one one game of every series the Astros play mm. whether it's home or away the other team gets to notify in advance that they are going to be hitting one of the Astros below the head right without penalty so you don't even get a base so like the Yankees could so if it was a three game series in New York the the it would be kind of fun right, right. Get, the Yankees would announce like <laughs> okay on the Saturday afternoon game we're going to hit Alex Bregman <laughs> 
in his second at bat. And then you could put away like Severino could step up there and just and and Bregman would know it's coming, right? But he'd have to take it, right? And he don't get to go down to the base. Yankees and, fans, this is the 2017 the payback inning. <laughs> Altuve will be t- leading off, and here comes Chapman from uh, the from the bullpen. <laughs> He's just going to be facing Altuve. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. That is, I think that's I th- really funny. Okay. All I right. Do. Well, enough of the Astros. Uh, um, moving on, let's talk about. Well, you know, so I, I'm a Red Sox fan. You're a Phillies fan. That's right. Um, I don't think it's even close to who should be more optimistic about their season. I think that you win there. But let's talk about. So let's talk about the Phillies. So coming off a disappointing season mm-hmm. in which they missed the playoffs yet again, despite spending. A billion dollars on Bryce Harper and other guys. Yeah, they did spend a lot. Um, of money. They fired their holistic approach, <laughs> guru, smoothie drinking, coconut oil oil rubbing manager Gabe Kapler. Aren't there other guys that want to be managers <laughs> in in a major leagues? By the way, is, is it really? Is that, he the is only that guy tough to find? Really? I mean, I mean, in the entire country of former baseball yeah. players, you can't find anybody better than that. <laughs> Like, did the Giants just be like, well, Kapler's available. We have to give it to him. He's in the club. <laughs> so you went you went the right direction, I think, which is you went old school Joe Girardi, you know, catch former catcher, baseball manager guy. Um, he comes in. You, you went out and you signed Didi Gregorius, who I think helps you. Uh, you got rid of Franco. Uh, you got rid of uh, Hernandez. Um, you picked up Zach Wheeler in free agency, which is going to help your rotation. Mm-hmm. I still don't think you have anybody in the bullpen. I still Are you forgetting about Ranger Suarez. <laughs> I am. Is he a real player? Is that his name, Ranger Suarez? You don't remember Ranger Suarez no, from I, last year? No, I, he was actually a real baseball. He, he player. He was a left-handed reliever. Came out of the no. pen. He may not be he invited probably... to spring training this year, but he play, he pitched a lot last year. No, for him. and I, and you know, considering that after Wheeler and Nola, your number three starter is is tight pants McGee, and then I don't know who you have after that. But anyways, Jake Arrieta allegedly was a Cy Young winner once, wasn't he? I. I don't know. Maybe they might have taken that trophy from him. <laughs> I mean, he sure don't look like. It. All right. Well, the biggest burning questions we have, we'll give each other three burning questions. My burning question for you, with the Red Sox, is the first burning question is Mookie Betts. What happened? Why is he a member of the Dodgers now? This is such a difficult question because there's like there's, you know, there's two answers, right? There's like the hardcore, cold-blooded analytical answer, which is. The Red Sox needed to get under the tax threshold for a number of reasons, which most people don't bother to understand, which is not purely money, right? It wasn't just, oh, they're going to pay a bunch of money over the tax. That's true. What people don't realize is under that under the current system that's set up, you get penalized in all sorts of ways. You get penalized in terms of draft pick compensation. You get penalized in terms of – this is the repeater tax, which is that if you exceed – um, the salary tax threshold in consecutive years, like the Red Sox did, the penalties are not just monetary. They're draft pick and otherwise. And the Red Sox absolutely had to get under it. Now, unfortunately, the reason they had to get under it was because Dave Drombrowski, their former GM, who well, did... Let me ask you a question. That's interesting. So you, if you're over the salary tax... Pierre is an expert in the, the Major League Baseball CBA. Mm-hmm. He's much more so than me. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Whether you have to forfeit picks now, you can. In, in yeah, you not only not only well, this is for the repeater tax, right? So yeah. the way that's set up is that 
if you just go, let's say the, the luxury tax threshold is set at $210 million and, and your salary this year is, your team salary is 215 You just pay a tax on that excess, right? Whatever it is. I forget. I'm making up numbers here. Let's say it's 20%. So it's a couple million bucks, right? No big deal. But the system that's set up now is if you if you consistently, right? It's called a repeater tax. If you, if you consistently... Uh, exceed that threshold, then severe penalties kicked in. And the Red Sox had. The Red Sox for years now, I think if it's more than three consecutive years, these severe penalties kick in. Not only does your tax rate go way up, right? I think it might go up to like 40% of whatever you're over. But other penalties kick in where you start, you know, normally if you lose certain free agents, you know, they sign elsewhere, you get a compensatory pick. No, no, you lose that. Um, You get penalized where you pick in the draft. You get penalized in the amount of international bonus money you can pay to international free agents. So there was more than just money at stake. That being said, the the Red Sox arrived at this situation because Dombrowski, who did win us a World Series in 2018, came in and just gave out contracts like he was drunk Larry Brown in 2001 with the Sixers. I mean, you know, Chris Sale... um, you know, whose arm was nearly falling off. We gave him a $150 million extension. Um, you know, uh, and this J.D. Martinez didn't opt out of his contract, which wasn't a terrible contract, but he still makes like $23 million a year. So there was really no other way with their salary, way it was set up, and with Mookie Betts set to make $27 million wow. this year because that was his arbitration award, wow. there was really no way to get around trading him. And the argument could also be made that no matter what, he was going to leave as a free agent, right? The, the rumor is, never been confirmed, rumor is they Red Sox offered him 10 years, $300 million, he turned it down. That he wants Trout money. Trout money being 12 years, $430 million. Um, and there's, you know, and listen, I think Mookie's a good guy. I think he likes Boston. Um, but I think, and I think a lot of guys think this way too, I think they realize they owe it to their union to go out and get the most money they can. And so I think in Mookie's mind, he's going to hit the market no matter what. And listen, he has every right to, right? If I'm Mookie Betts, you know, and I can hit free agency and I can get, you know, even in the same neighborhood as Trout money, you know, like 400 and 400 plus million over yeah, 10 why not, years, right? why not, why not do it? And and listen, maybe he comes back to the Red Sox. So that's the analytical answer. The, the, the part of my heart that just is just brutal is that, you know, and listen, I'm 50 years old, but, you know, I still love baseball. You know, my favorite players of all time in the Red Sox, and I've been following them for 40 years. How, uh, number one was Fred Lynn when I was a kid. And by the way, they traded him away. They traded Fred Sox. Fred Lynn won was he a left fielder? Was he an outfielder? center fielder, rookie of the year, MVP, same year. Think about that. Rookie of the year, MVP, That's same year, year, 1975. Um, they traded him to the Angels in 1979. I was devastated as a kid because I didn't understand what was going on. Uh, then David Ortiz, obviously, and then after that, it would be Mookie Betts. You know, and and with me, I you know having kids, and at least my younger son, my older son is a you know Phillies fan for some reason. I don't know what happened there, but my younger son is at least a Red Sox fan. And, you know, that Mookie's his favorite player, you know, and, and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, how do you explain to an 11 year old, you know, luxury tax thresholds and and stuff like that when you say like, well, why isn't, you know, why isn't Mookie bets on the Red Sox or why aren't they resigning him? And that's the, and that's, that's the tough thing I think is to to look at that and to, and to see, 
you know, I'm going to watch the Red Sox in the first game of the season, and he's not going to be out there, and I'm going to turn on a Dodgers game, and there's Mookie Betts playing center field yeah. for the Dodgers. Yeah. I mean, that's that's not right. Does, that, does the addition of Betts to the Dodgers make them any more prohibitive of a favorite than they were before? I don't know. I don't know how the Dodgers don't win, like, 110 yeah. games and win the whole thing. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, I guess they were – I mean – it's all relative. I mean, they were a 100-win team last year. They didn't win the World Series. Um, does Mookie make them better? Sure. Um, you know, was there was offense a problem for them last year? I don't think so, really. It's like I mean, they, they just get outpitched a lot when they hit the World yeah, Series. Yeah, I mean, I think that's their bigger issue is that, you know, their bullpen, I think, is a little suspect. Their starting pitching isn't what it used to be. You know, I don't think Kershaw is the same as he was, even though Walker Buehler is really good. Um, you know, they had Cody Bellinger last year. He won the MVP, right? Now you're adding another MVP caliber bat. I mean, again, it's, you know, you, I don't know what they, I don't know in terms of how many runs they scored last year. They're going to, is their offense going to be better? Absolutely. Is their outfield defense going to be better? Absolutely. Does that mean they're going to win the World Series? Well, that's the great thing about baseball. You don't know. I mean, they're going to make the playoffs, but so what? And after that, you know, hey, listen, teams that win 100 games lose lose the World Series all the time. It's so. funny how that works out, you know, these super teams during the year, and then I don't know whether there's more pressure on them or whatever happens to teams. It happened to the Phils when they had the four aces the one year. Yeah. Um, uh, and then they 2011, had the, yeah. you lose to the Cardinals in a five-game series yeah. where, you know, you're throwing an ace out there every yeah. day. It's just and arguably we're the better team nine, nine, you know, nine days out of ten. But – yeah, they just it, it, sometimes that's a big uh, cross to carry there, a long big burden of expectation, I guess. Now, burning question number two: Are you expecting any punishment from the aforementioned Red Sox scandal? There'll be punishment, but it's going to be very mild. Uh, I mean, the, the difference between the Red Sox "quote unquote" scandal and the Astros scandal is night and day. Like we just said, I mean, the Astros were they had video in there. It was only in their dugout. They're banging trash cans. All the Red Sox really did, which is really, I don't even think, illegal. I guess baseball said it was. Every single every single team in both the home park and the visitor's park and every stadium in baseball has a video room, right, right. where every single at-bat is on video. And right. then what batters do is they, in between at-bats, they can go back there, they can watch their at-bat and say, like, oh, I did this, or this guy threw me this on this counter. Well, I guess what the Red Sox were going back there, and listen— Every other team in baseball is doing this, right? Don't don't think for a minute that like, oh, it's just the just the Red Sox that are doing this. They would go so back there. Says the fan of the team that got caught <laughs> red-handed doing that. Go red-handed ahead. what? Looking at video and then deciphering, you know, the signals of the catchers. I mean, that's really not that much different than having what's been done forever in baseball is that if I'm on second base and I look down there and I figure out that two is a curveball and three is a slider and I make a signal to the batter. You know, somebody might throw at me, but I'm not breaking any rules. You know, that's cheating. Too. It's funny about it's that. It's not I've heard, cheating. I've heard you say that too before. No, it absolutely is cheating. It's not. And one of the reasons that, that, that Manfred screwed this up is because baseball doesn't have, for some reason, or maybe they do and they don't enforce it, like a cheating policy on stuff like this, in-game stuff that could be perceived as well, cheating. But, like, that, like, like but a that's sign steal. literally not cheating, well, though. No, let's it's say like it's, an unwritten rule. It's no different. I think if you're a batter, right, if you're a batter and you stand up there and you look back and try and see what the catcher's signaling, that's not cheating either. Now, if they see you do it, they're going to throw at you, right? But it's not a it's not a rule. Now, I was thinking about this. There's there's well, you don't think it's cheating when you get a teammate to come in there and, and help you decipher uh, if he's the runner on second base. Yeah. No, that's baseball. That's why they have signs, right? That's why the catcher mixes up the signs when you have a runner on second. I think there's a disconnect here, Pierre. <laughs> um, 
We were, we were we started off all law and order, and now all of a sudden, when it comes to the Red Sox, you can't bend over I'm far just, enough. To, I'm you just know. saying, there's different interpretations yeah, out there's there. Yeah, different interpretations. Hold on one sec. There we go. We're back on. Okay. Um, what were we talking about? We were talking about um, the Red Sox and the punishment and the definition of cheating. And um, oh, so yeah. What I was thinking was this: is that listen, if you want to get away, if you want to get away around this, I mean, somebody smarter than me could probably come up with a system by which the catcher could communicate with the pitcher without using signs. Right? Mm-hmm. You could have a buzzer system, right? Like the Astros may have used. Like you could have something underneath the jersey of the pitcher, and maybe somewhere on the catcher, you know, it's one buzz fastball, two buzz curveball, three buzz slider. I don't know, and have something like that. I mean, there's. It can't be that if, if this is really an issue with baseball, and that's why I say with you know runner on second, it's not. I the, the rule kind of is you can't use technology apparently to try and steal signs. But if you want to get rid of just the whole issue of sign stealing, then come up with a system in which the catcher and pitcher can somehow communicate without using signs that can't be stolen by other people. And, and there you go. I would just have a rule for all kind of sign stealing. If you if you got caught stealing signs from second, I would say that's a game. You know, if you do it twice, maybe it goes up to ten games. If you do it, you know, whatever. But how I would, would you prove it? Well, I don't know how they prove any of this stuff with cameras. I would look at the guy at the camera if he's going, you know, <laughs> slapping his head, and his arms every play. You know, giving the high sign, raising his arms like a crazy man. Maybe that's something there. If it was me, by the way, if I was cheating, I would employ the hot dog vendors. So I would have a guy behind the plate, you know, every time it was a fastball, I'd be like, hey, hot dog, hot dog, hey, hot dog. I mean, how but, would they know? How would they you, know? So what if what if you're sitting on the bench, you're the manager, right, and the other team has a runner on first, and you look over at the third base coach, and you figure out what the steal sign is, mm-hmm. and based upon that, you, have, you pick off the guy stealing second. That's cheating too. Yes, I mean it is cheating. I mean you could call it gamesmanship, but it's all it's all gray areas. It's just a it's very it's, generous. To, <laughs> I mean, I mean you could, you're describing it more like it's it's an unwritten rule that's allowed. Right. I think what it is is it's an you know it's 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 an unwritten rule of cheating that is that's ignored. It's not allowed. It's ignored. But I mean that's a difference of opinion. You think it's an integral part of the game, and I would agree with you. I mean they've been doing it since the beginning of baseball. I think uh, taking it to the, obviously to this extreme is what made it wrong. We can agree on that. All right. So, what's the outlook for the for the uh, for your Red Sox? Are they? Uh, do you have an over under on them? Do you have a, how, how would you like to predict their season? Uh, you know, I'm not. I, I don't have great. Everything is lining up to be just. You know, you know, they fired the manager. They traded Mookie Betts. Everybody is kind of down on them. Um, well, yeah. let me ask you this way. Where do you see them finishing just within their division? I mean, no better than third. I mean, the Yankees are by far and away the best team probably in the American League. Tampa Bay won 90 games last year. They're just as good as they are. There's no reason to think that Tampa Bay won't be a playoff team. Uh, Baltimore, as always, is hot garbage, and I don't think they're going to do anything. Toronto's gotten better. Toronto's got a bunch of young Good players, they're slowly getting better each year. I think I think Toronto will be semi-competitive this year. I mean, listen, Red Sox still have stars, um, and they still have a good offense, but the pitching's kind of a mess. I mean, Chris Sale, uh, you never know how many innings you're going to get out of him. I think I think last year he maybe threw 120 or 130 innings. 
Uh, David Price is gone. Everybody, you know, we got rid of David Price along with Mookie Betts. He was quietly our number two starter. Um, you've got Eduardo Rodriguez who can pitch. You got Evaldi who can pitch. Um, but after that, you don't really have anybody at the four or five spots. We got nobody. The bullpen is is quietly kind of a mess. We didn't spend any money or bring anybody in for the bullpen, and you you, you know it's going to be tough overcoming. It's not just easy to take an MVP caliber like Mookie Betts, who's also a Gold Glove in right field, and take him off your team and be like, oh yeah, we're going to be just fine. I mean, I think I think the Red Sox will be lucky to be a five hundred team. If they finished under 500, I wouldn't be surprised, but absolutely, um, you know, not making the playoffs, uh, not making a lot of noise, uh, and just kind of a, you know, I, I can't complain. I mean, we won a World Series two years ago. We won four in my yeah, lifetime, which I never thought I'd say, but right. I just, it just, the taste in your mouth of, you know, it's one thing to have an off year. It's another thing to have an off year because you stabbed yourself in the leg, right? Which is kind of what the Red Sox All did. I know is if Mookie Betts was a homegrown player in Philly and we tried to trade him at this point in his career. Yeah. Everybody around here would go crazy. It would, it would, it would be, it, it would, the equivalent would have been like imagine in 2010 the Phillies said like you know what Chase Utley's getting really expensive we're right. going to have to trade him. Yeah, right. People would, people would be ready to burn the stadium down. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know I don't know. All so right. anyways, let's move on. Let's talk about your Philadelphia Phillies. Um, number number one burning question for me is so Kapler gone, Girardi in, how many wins difference does that make? What did they win with Kapler the two years he was here? 80 and 81 or 81 and 82? They never finished above 500, right? right? Yeah, I think so the best year was 81, 81, and 80, yeah. 81 and 81 maybe, best year. I, I mean, that was one of the things about Kapler. I just I – mean, people didn't like his personality for one. It's like he's a, you know, a soundbite machine. He's, he's, he's always got a, a rehearsed answer. Um, and maybe that's why they liked him so much because he talks a really nice game. I was never once – though in two in the two years he was here impressed with him as a manager and i never once said to myself wow he he really he you know he really won us this game or he really i, I feel the same way about brett brown to be honest with you brett brown's in the same category let's it's not, like uh, you know let's not brett, i don't want to turn this into no, a sixers podcast and brett brown that may be a disservice to brett brown because i think he might be uh, a much better coach than gabe kapler i my point is i had very little respect for gabe kapler the job that he did joe girardi is you know he's got a really nice pedigree. He's he's won as a player and as a coach. He you know he coached the Yankees. He coached against the, the Phil. I mean I like everything about him. He checks all the boxes for me. You know, but manager only. You mean do you think I think five it'll make wins? I think it'll be between five and eight wins because I think Kapler's unorthodox, like heavily you know metrics and analytics style rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I don't think he brought the best out of a lot of his players. And that's all you can hope a coach really does is that he makes his players better or brings the best out of them. I think Girardi has shown that he's better at doing both of those things. So, you know, I I have to believe, because I don't think the Phils are a heck of a lot better than they were were roster-wise last year. Um, they they added uh, Wheeler as a pitcher, but, I mean, they I, I thought they needed probably two or three pitchers. I'm hoping that the big addition of the of the new coaching staff will be worth maybe eight eight wins is way too much because I again I don't think this team is that good. I think really? it'll be I think this team is will win at best eighty five to eighty seven games this, this year and finish. And again, if you look at them in terms of their division, well, you can't put them in front of Atlanta. 
Right. And Washington's the defending champ that still has a lot of talent. I mean, they're no better than third, too. Um, so I think that's, I mean, I think that's realistic. And I think the biggest, I mean, for me, the biggest change, the the biggest change in my mind is the manager. Um, unless Wheeler, you know, surprises me and just is, becomes like such a stud number two pitcher. I think they were short on pitching last year. And I also think they're missing probably two everyday position players. Two? Where? They're outfield. Let's think about the outfield. Bryce Harper. Now, I saw, I was watching the game the other day. So, <clears throat> Jay Bruce, is he your starting left yeah, fielder? Yeah. Well, Jay Bruce. Okay. And then O'Double's not a part of the team. Anymore. Well, no. So you're going to go with Roman Quinn, I, I guess? Yeah. Well, I think I mean, if you're going to have Harper and right, Jay Bruce and left, then I think you have it. I mean, Quinn made, I mean, again, it was a spring training game, but Quinn made two great plays in the outfield the other day. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, when you have a lineup that's as deep as the Phillies, which is, you know, I, I have to think of the, what their lineup is. Well, their infield's pretty good with Rio Molto. Hoskins, uh, then you got maybe Kingery at second. You got D.D. Gregorius, and your third baseman is going to be either Segura or maybe Kingery or I don't know. They don't have Cesar Hernandez anymore. Between between you know Harper, Hoskins, Riamolto, Kingery, um, Segura, and Gregorius. I mean that's your that's your one through six right there in some order. You have Jay Bruce bat seven, and then Roman Quinn bats eighth. Who cares? I mean, at that point, your lineup's deep enough that all Yeah, you- but think about it. Does that lineup, even saying it out loud, just just as an exercise, does that strike fear into you, really? Well, no, it's not a juggernaut, but it's good. It's a good lineup. It's solid all the way through. I mean, the, the, your question marks are, you know, it, listen, is Jay Bruce going to stay healthy all year? Yeah. You know, and if he does... You know, what can you expect out of him? I guess the answer would be if you gave, if, if Jay Bruce is healthy and gets 500 plate appearances, I would say you pencil him in for 25 homers. Um, now he's going to bat 240 and probably play mediocre to poor defense. Yes, but, <laughs> but I mean, you know, he's kind of a slugger. Quinn, Quinn will make up for a lot of those problems. Quinn's a good, def- really good defensive guy. He's fast. Um, I mean, the, I think the biggest questions, I, I won't, I don't worry about your lineup. I mean, if I'm the Phillies, I'm like, listen. Our lineup's as good as anybody's except for the Dodgers and probably the Braves, I would say. Um, I would say it's better than the the Nationals even. Because remember, Nationals lost Rendon. Um, your problem is pitching, is that, you know, you've got you got Nola's great, you got Wheeler, who I think is a solid number two, and then you got just a lot of yeah, cross your of fingers, questions. right? Yeah, you got Arietta who's probably done, doesn't throw like he used to. He's you know, now he's like a 89 to 92 guy when he was Cy Young guy he was 95 to 97 and he's one of those guys that like he doesn't have the secondary pitches to be yeah, I mean, all crafty down on. last year I mean I yeah. don't know I'm not very high on and Arrieta then either. and then you're bringing back the same poo poo platter of right. pitchers Pavetta Pavetta Vasquez I mean come on these guys are not major league pitchers <laughs> right and then you know your bullpen also quietly does kind of suck yeah. right I mean it's you know I don't know. I mean, I guess uh, Sergio. What's his name? Sergio Dominguez. Sergio. Uh, Sergio. I'm trying to think who's in Sergio the- Valentino. Sergio I'm making up names. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just not sure that you know. I don't think you got a lot of guys. You know, if you, if I'm the Phillies and you know you're up, you're uh, up. You're thinking Hector Neris probably. Well, he's another guy too. But if you if they have a three run lead going into the seventh. And I'm the other team. I'm not real worried about who's coming in from the bullpen to to maintain that I league. Agree. And I think, and listen, now maybe they get some guys that that uh, 
that they trade for or come up from the minors. Although their minor league their minor league system is not super good. They've got a couple. They got a one young guy down there. I think is pretty good. But it, my one hot take will be this. You know, I, I think the Braves are the, are the class of the division. I think the Nationals have that hangover this year. The the you know the World Series hangover. Uh, I think everything kind of broke right for them last year. Rendon's gone. Um, you know, Scherzer's 35. Strasburg was somehow healthy last year. He's due to break down. I think that, you know, with a couple of things break the Phillies' way, they could they could finish second, win, win 88, 90 games, and make the wild card. I think that's a big jump with this roster, but who knows? Uh, the Philly Fanatic, you, you know the best uh, mascot in, in sports, right? Well, yeah, that's a that's a oxymoron. Who owns the who owns the best mascot? There shouldn't be mascots in baseball, right? But I understand there are. No, no, I know they. So they rolled out the new version of the fanatic, right? Featuring like uh, baby blue eyebrows with stars behind his eyes. They 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 basically tweaked the fanatic's design, and you know because they don't own the rights to it. Correct, and it's funny how that (laughs) these stories come out like. And it takes you a while for it to register. Like in my mind, I heard, I read about this a couple of days ago, and they're like, "Oh, Sunday, first home spring training game. Mm. They're going to reveal the changes to the fanatic." I'm like, "Oh, well, that's really odd. The fanatic. Yeah. Why would you change the fanatic?" And then I was curious. I'm like, "I oh, got. I hope they don't screw it up too much." Right. And then I saw it. He's got like a baby. You know, he's got like a tail feather now. Well, there are literally no differences. If you saw, there was a side by side picture on Twitter right. where there were no differences at all. Hardly. Right. It was like one of those like those picture books you had as a kid which is like circle the differences right. and you have to stare at it for five minutes and you find like two and then you realize the reason why <laughs> they are even <laughs> contemplating changing this icon of the team is because they're in a legal battle with, with the guy who with the, guy the idea oh that's that's incredible yeah i mean i i cannot even imagine how lucrative the fanatic trademark and like you know that costume and everything has been for them for the past thirty yeah. years. They mark. I mean, it's 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 it, it is the Phillies, yeah. right? When you think of the Phillies, yeah. you think of the fanatic. They sent that he's at every game. Kids love him. They market it. They sell hats. They sell T-shirts. They do they do promotions at the park mm-hmm. all the time yeah. surrounding the fanatic. He's they rent him out to kids' birthday parties and speaking events and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, now maybe we don't we don't know the whole story. Maybe the maybe the originator is being, you know, ridiculous in his demands. Yeah. But I can't imagine there isn't a number out there that the Phillies can afford, considering they get a billion dollars a year from Comcast for the broadcast rights, where there isn't a number out there they can just give this guy to say, hey, you know, why don't we go another forty years and we'll give you five million dollars a year? You think it was the- like the Phillies arbitration with Rio Muto? <laughs> They're just like, well, our offer is this. Nothing. <laughs> and I would appreciate it if you would pay the arbitration fee. Maybe it was. I mean, could you go could you go to arbitration with the fanatic? Is that something? And maybe there's an arbitration clause. That would be funny. Yeah. I really would like to see the arbitrate the, the fanatic and arbitration. In which the Phillies would have to go in and argue that the the fanatic doesn't bring any right. value. He's to not the team. that good. We don't even like him, to be honest with you. People, but he's our mark. We actually, we, we created a lot of people complain about the fanatic. <laughs> We're trying to scale him back. Not have him go to many as many events. He is supposedly thinner, by the way, so maybe that's part of the thing. All right, so over under four Phillies. Uh, the fanatic change really has no effect at all on my prediction. Um, I, again, I think they are. I think a great season 
unless I'm surprised, would be 85 to 87 wins for them. That, that's it's where pretty I pretty pessimistic, actually. I don't, well, maybe, maybe, but I, I just I I I don't. I'm going to go higher right now. I'm going to say I'm going to say right now, and this is what February 24th. Mm-hmm. February 24th. I'm telling you right now, the Phillies win 90 games. They finish second, and they make the wild card. Wow, there you have, there you have it. I mean, bold <laughs> predictions. From- I also thought the 49ers were going to win the Super Bowl too, but and they should have. Well, they should have. But bold predictions from a man in the know, Pierre Latour, predicting playoff baseball for your Philadelphia Phillies and not such a bright outlook for his hometown, Boston Red Sox. Well, that's the uh, end of another podcast. Thanks for listening um, to Justice for All. I'm your host, Josh Scarpello, along with Pierre Latour. Say goodbye, Pierre. Oh, goodbye, everybody. Um, We will be back uh, with another podcast very soon. In the meantime, if you need to reach a good attorney, call us at 215-732-0460. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe, rate us, uh, give us feedback. Uh, We would appreciate it. Thanks a lot.